Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Is it chutzpah? Is it arrogance? Or is it perhaps ignorance that causes people to behave badly? And it's not going anywhere. There we go. Alec Baldwin, some years ago, left a scathing voicemail on his young daughter's answering machine. Left her in tears. Charlie Sheen is known for destroying hotel rooms in a drunken spree. Even perky little Katie Couric, who is the epitome of cheer on TV, has been known to leave underlings trembling with fear following outbursts of anger, snide remarks, or even withering glances. We've all read poems by the beloved poet Robert Frost who talks about roads not traveled, who talks about stone walls being good neighbors. He was also known to publicly criticize latecomers to his poetry readings. When the number in the audience of his readings didn't meet his expectations, he would inform the organizers that he was not a rural high school English teacher who could be ignored. The implication was that he was someone to be reckoned with. He was a man of distinction and even a power who deserved better than what he was receiving. If that's too dated an example, think of Kanye West. Someone who thinks it's okay to rush the stage at an awards show and proclaim that the person holding the award did not deserve the award, but somebody else did. Some years ago, a man by the name of Robert Burton, multimillionaire, donated millions of dollars to the University of Connecticut's growing football program so they could build a brand new stadium. But when he disagreed with their current choice of coaches, he decided that he wanted his money returned. He didn't want to, to have his name on the stadium anymore. A local newspaper publicly mocked him by putting a picture in the paper of him in a diaper, screaming like a baby, I want my money back. What is it that causes people to behave badly? You know, these stunning displays of anger and of apparent lack of concern for the recipients of one's wrath are markers of people being oblivious to the meaning of empathy. These are people who are so self-absorbed that they completely disregard the feelings of other people. Why is it that some people in an emotional state simply just lose control and feel entitled to some type of satisfaction when there are others who may be going through the very same situation, they calmly traverse any disagreements and they sail right on past all the trouble and they go right on to understanding. Why the difference? You know, Robert Frost's bad manners in his day and time might have been exposed by a few local newspapers, 
but it wasn't really widely spread. But today's celebrities and their exploits, they are examined deeply and in great detail thanks to tabloids, thanks to television, entertainment, news shows, thanks to social media, and thanks to the internet. We see them all the time, and we know exactly what they said, we know exactly how they said it, and why. This shock value of bad language and, and poor behavior are, are kind of lessened on us these days, aren't they? They really don't shock us anymore. Why? Because we see it all the time. Every time we turn around, there's a celebrity or there's a politician behaving badly, behaving rudely, saying things that shouldn't be said. And we go, oh well, it happened again. Because we see it all the time. And that's why reality TV is such a booming business, though. People love this stuff. Shows based on volatile encounters between participants, eagerly awaiting these violent personality clashes. That's why these reality TV shows are so popular, because there's a lot of people out there that really love bad behavior. We get to our story this morning, and we talk about Joseph. He is different. He stands in contrast to this take-no-prisoners, gotta-have-the-final-word attitude that is so often displayed in the world today. Joseph would never make it on reality TV. Just when we reach this climactic moment in the Genesis story, after the betrayal, after the slavery, after the imprisonment, after the dream-catching and the rise to power, Finally, this drama begins to come to a head. Joseph, the second in the command, second in line only to Pharaoh, the arbitrator of food in a starving land, faces his treacherous brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery. And he has both the opportunity and the power to not only punish these boys, but to kill them. And nobody would have batted an eye. Nobody would have said anything. What does he do? The words in verse 1 here of chapter 45 seem to be leading up to some cataclysmic resolution here. He says that Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, But this was no jerk. Even when given his treatment in the past, he sure could have been. He could have been. The reader is justifiably waiting for some fireworks here. Waiting for some revenge. Waiting for tables to be overturned waiting for a punishment, perhaps even banishment, to happen. Instead, Joseph astonishes people by his reaction. And perhaps, for the reader, maybe even disappoints somebody. And he offers his unlovable, 
unsympathetic brothers forgiveness, mercy, and reconciliation. This would have been a bomb as a TV show. It had got no ratings, would it have? No drama? No one getting kicked off the island? No rose being ground into the floor? No ring being thrown across the room? Where's the outrage? Where's the conflict? Where's the tears? Where's the screaming? Where's the pain? Joseph seems to lack that certain something that so many celebrities these days possess in abundance. Call it arrogance, call it overinflated ego, call it what you want. Joseph goes the opposite direction. And he offers instead an olive branch of remarkable proportions. What is it that we allow to rule us? Some people like to rule by fear and coercion. And when we allow that to happen, that's what we're ruled by, aren't we? We end up being ruled by fear and coercion. And there's a lot of people in the world that allow themselves to be ruled this way. Others seem to allow the Holy Spirit to have rule in their life. And this was clearly the case for Joseph. Joseph had every right to look at his brothers and say, here, take that. I'm not giving you any food. I'm not giving you nothing because you pretended that I was dead and sold me into slavery. His anger would have been justified because look what they did to him. No one could blame him for at least reviewing all the multitude of hurts that he had gone through. All those hurts that his brothers inflicted upon him and reminding them of the devastating pain that he had gone through that they had caused in his life. You know what you guys did to me? You know what I had to go through because of you? What happens instead? Simply grace. Simply grace. Grace lived, grace spoken, and grace shared. Undeserved, unearned, perhaps even unappreciated because we really don't get a good idea of the response of his brothers after all this happened. But given nonetheless... And really, here is drama of a whole different sort. The power is that of the Holy Spirit, and it's very easily overlooked and quite often underappreciated. Joseph could have commanded fear. 
He was in a position that he could have commanded fear. He could have demanded retribution. He could have at least demanded groveling from his siblings. Now, granted, he played with them just a little bit, but it was nothing compared to what he could have done. Instead, Joseph apparently considers the remarkable movement that God has had in his life, which brought him to this life-giving moment of power. Perhaps he reflected on the way that the Spirit had woven its way through the course of his life. What Joseph does is he chooses to be a reflection of the miraculous yet gentle power of the Spirit. He mirrors God's mercy by his astounding insistence that he become inserted back into the lives of his brothers. Joseph could have just said, hey, y'all are on your own. But Joseph will not abandon his brothers in their time of need. He will not do it. Despite all that's happened, despite all that they've done to him, and all that's happened in his life as a result of that, he still loved his brothers. And just as Joseph has experienced God's grace and discovered God in the most surprising places, Joseph in turn supplies his brothers with assurance that they are not alone. That they have a hope of survival. Joseph knows literally what it's like to be in the pit of despair, doesn't he? Because that's where he ended up, was in a pit. His brothers, he will not abandon them to a same fate. They came in despair because they had no food. And he would not abandon them. You know, Joseph learned a lot of lessons throughout his life from the time that he was sold off into slavery to this point in time. Joseph learned a lot. And Joseph could have kept all that stuff to himself. But instead, he elects to share those lessons in life with his brothers. He has, during the course of his life, experienced complete human betrayal and utter divine intervention. He's experienced both of them. Now, he has the opportunity to decide which one he's going to pass along. Is he going to pass along betrayal? Or is he going to pass along divine intervention? What will his brothers learn? What would they learn if they, they received punishment? Well, they'd figure out, well, we deserved that, didn't we? We had that coming. Yeah. We put him in the pit, we sold him, and now what goes around comes around. We deserve that. They're only going to learn about justice. 
All they could say is, I rightly deserved exactly what, I, what I'm getting. But since they receive mercy, now they have a chance to learn about love, and they have a chance to learn about forgiveness. And it's from that well that they can draw. And it's a lesson that we pray that the brothers, as well as us, will pass along to other people along life's journey. Because we're not receiving justice, right? We're receiving love and forgiveness. And that's something we should be passing along to other people as well. Now, when the brothers are cowering in front of Joseph and they're awaiting judgment, they're experiencing the same type of despair that Joseph experienced. So many years ago, can you imagine that boy's feelings when he's laying at the bottom of that pit and he can hear his brothers talking about what they're going to do to him up there? Let's just kill him. Let's just kill him and get it over with. No, let's, let's don't do that. Let's sell him off into slavery and pretend he's dead. And then he's going, I'm dead either way. I'm dead either way. When they find out that this is their brother, can you imagine what their first thought probably was? We're dead. First of all, we're not getting any food. <laughs> Second, he's going to kill us because of what we did. There at that moment, sitting in that same pit of despair. But Joseph disrupts the natural flow of cause and effect. He refuses to engage in this tit-for-tat Politics. He refuses to engage in revenge. That's beyond him. Even though he had every reason to be consumed with anger, he chooses a different path and he models mercy. The same type of mercy that he received from God all these many years. You know, there is real emotion here. The depth of Joseph's passion in this passage here is clear. He was overcome by the fact that he was now face to face with his brothers. And he was not overcome with anger. He was not overcome with revenge. He was overcome with joy by the fact that now he was reunited with his brothers. He couldn't hardly stand it himself. He cried out when he could no longer contain himself. But he doesn't go for the kill. That's the important part here. He doesn't go for revenge. Instead, he offers compassion for those who were ruthless, and he offers empathy for those who were unfeeling. This was an absolutely horrible thing 
for the brothers to do to Joseph. It was despicable. It was unbelievable that they did that. But Joseph, apparently a long time ago, forgave his brothers. He didn't forgive them on that moment. He forgave them a long time ago. He chose forgiveness over retribution. But that does not equate to a lack of passion because you can see the passion. You can hear the passion in these verses. Joseph mirrored the sentiment of an Eastern sage that would later utter, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You're the one that gets burned. You're the one that gets burned. So, what do you do with anger? What do you do with anger, which can be just a justifiable response to a situation? What do you do with it? What Joseph did is he refused to allow anger to dictate his action. That's what he did. And that's what we can do as well. Clearly, he was able to work through his fury. He was able to work through his sense of betrayal. Even though there's no hint of him ever going to counseling, even though there's no hint, uh, hint of him cathargically hitting his pillow at night, trying to come to some sense of what's been going on, did he pray? Did he journal his feelings? Did he talk to his wife about it? We'll never know. We'll never know. Only the offering of mercy and the resulting resurrection of his family are seen. Somehow, some way, with the help of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, Joseph was able to get through this situation. He was able to come to terms with what was done to him so that he could offer mercy and forgiveness and grace to those who had wronged him so badly. Joseph turns his back on anger and in the process reaps the reward of a family restored. He is reunited not only with his brothers, but with his aging father as well, whom he had not seen in years, who thought he was dead. You know, the story of Joseph is less a how to manage anger story and more of an example of the life-giving results of mercy. That's really what this story is about, isn't it? It's about what happens when we give mercy to other people. This is not to say that those who have been mistreated need to go instantly running out to those that mistreated them and offer you know, undeserved leniency to those who have tormented them. Instead, what this story is telling us here is that it's, it encourages us to place our hands, place ourselves in the hands of God. 
God is the fountain of forgiveness. God is the source of life. And when we put ourselves in His hands, He'll show us what to do. He'll give us the strength to have forgiveness. He'll give us the power to extend mercy and grace. What Joseph did was that he modeled the refusal to allow evildoers to have power over his life. Folks, we don't have to do that, do we? We don't have to let evildoers have power over our lives. We don't have to let those who do bad things to us control us, control how we act, control how we think, control how we live. Instead of permitting the resulting anger to destroy Joseph and compounding everything that had already been done to him, he refuses to let anger take over and control the way he lived and the way he thought. He will not lose control of his emotions. He will not lose control of his actions. More importantly, he retained control over his own life. Anger and fear never directed his actions. He was able to choose how to respond to his brothers because he didn't let anger and fear control him. He put anger behind them, and as a result, he was able to offer his brothers life. Life. What is it that's controlling you this morning? Are you letting the power of the Spirit control you? Or are you letting the actions of other people control what you think, do? Are you letting other people control your life? Don't let them do it. Because when you let other people control your life, guess what? Devil wins. Devil wins. Because he's using them to control you. Instead, allow the power of the Spirit to control you, to guide you. Allow the Spirit to let forgiveness and mercy and grace work in you and through you to other people. Is it easy sometimes? No, it's not. Sometimes forgiveness and grace and mercy toward other people are some of the hardest things that you can possibly do. But if you do it, you regain control of your life. And the Spirit of God will work through you. Again, I'm going to ask, who controls your life this morning? If you need to let God control your life through His Spirit, if you're letting other people control your life, we're going to sing a song of encouragement, and we're encouraging you to make a change tonight and let God work in your life and not other people. Let the Spirit guide your life and not the anger and resentment that you have toward other people. Come and talk to one of the elders and let them help you. Let us help you redirect your life. But more than anything else, 
If you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never been baptized to have your sins taken away, if you've never been baptized in order to commit your life to the Son who has come and given everything for you, then you're allowing somebody else to control your life. You're allowing fear. You're allowing indecision. You're allowing Satan to take control. And through you, he's saying, no, not now. Don't let him say that. Say, today, I will change. Today, I will let the Spirit of God in my life and let him guide me and control me and nobody else. And if that's what you want this morning, please come while we stand and sing.